We are in a series looking at Advent, or really looking at Christmas through a lens of Advent. This season in the church's life is is called Advent. It's a it's a time when we look back to the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus at Christmas when He came in humility. But we also look forward to His second coming, His coming in glory at the end of this age, because Advent is a time where we prepare ourselves for that second coming. And as a result of that, typically in churches uh, that, that observe Advent, what we get at Christmas time is not Christmas stories. We get stories of prophets uh, telling us, you know, let justice roll down like water or things like that. Um, uh, you know, the axe is lying at the foot of the tree. We get, we get uh, uh, stories like that where God has used his, his prophets to speak to people uh, a message of preparation. And as a result, we don't hear the familiar Christmas stories as frequently during Advent. Um, but what uh, what we're trying to do this year is to look at the Christmas stories through that Advent lens to understand what is it that they say to us about how we can be prepared, how we can live the kind of life that God wants us to have as we await the coming of His Son. So that's been the idea. And last week we looked at we looked at the specific question of hope. And what we talked about last week is that hope is good. We actually saw that that even if you're not a Christian, hope is good. Uh, it, it is good for people to have an elevated hope. But we also saw, particularly for Christians, hope is a good thing because it's not anchored in the, the, the tides of history or anything like that. It's anchored in who God is and God's ability to keep his promises. So our hope is actually a virtue from a Christian point of view because it brings glory to God. And what we saw is that hope is is this thing. When we have a hope that's that's uh, far distinguished from our current circumstances, our current reality, that the gap between that hope we have and our reality is is spanned by faith. And that most of us, uh, at least at times, we have a very small faith. Our faith, we're like the apostles that Jesus called the small faiths, and our faith is very close to us. It's very small. It's basically to get through today or to get through this week or to get the report in by Tuesday or whatever it is we have to do. It's very small. But when we have a big hope, that means that we have a big faith, and faith is the arena where God works. So that's what we talked about last week. Today we're going to talk about something that's related to that. It's not quite the same thing as we'll see. But it's purpose. And um, uh, probably the best way that I can easily kind of relate us to, to what I mean by purpose is with the uh, uh, heartwarming Christmas classic, Home Alone. How many of you have seen, how many of you have not seen the movie Home Alone? All right, show of hands. All right, a couple of outliers who haven't seen Home Alone. But um, Home Alone is the story of a little boy named Kevin who, because of plot complications, gets left behind while his family goes away on a Christmas vacation. And uh, while he's waiting for them to figure this out and solve his problems, he basically has no purpose. He has uh, all the freedom he could ask for and no, no nothing to do with it except whatever he wants to. So he watches, he watches uh, gangster movies and he orders pizza and he um, jumps up and down in his brother's bed that he's not supposed to do. He does all kinds of things that he's not supposed to do because he's just kind of uh, drifting through life, assuming that his parents will sort this out someday. And in the meantime, I'm just having fun. But then he overhears two robbers who are planning to rob his house, and he acquires a purpose. He acquires a purpose, which is to defend the house and to preserve his life until 
his parents can return. So he has to defeat the robbers. He has to repel them at least, maybe defeat them. And that is his purpose. So it changes the, the tone of the movie from this naughty little boy jumping up and down in the bed to a boy who is engaged in a purpose. Now, that's a silly Christmas movie, but um, the, the scripture tells us about a similar sort of transformation because it tells us about Mary. Mary is a young woman um, who is engaged to be married, but as far as we know, she has no more purpose than anybody else in her culture would have had uh, that they... They just kind of wanted to get through life. Mary had a, had an immediate purpose. Her immediate purpose was to get married. So we read about how she was a virgin who was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was of the lineage of King David. And Gabriel, this cosmic tattletale, God sends Gabriel to tell Mary what's really going on. And so he says, he says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And Mary is confused and disturbed. And she tries to think, what could the angel mean? Because when she looks at her life, it's hard to see signs of God's favor in it. Um, she is almost certainly poor. She certainly is a woman. And in that culture, that was already one strike. Um, but she's also probably poor. There was essentially no middle class in that society. We learn in the next chapter that um, after she marries Dave, uh, Joseph, she is poor. And if Joseph is poor to begin with, then her family would never, if she were rich, her family would never have let her marry somebody who is poor. So we have to assume that Mary is poor. So when she looks at her life, she is a woman who is who is part of this oppressed people who is ground under the boot of the, the occupying empire. Um, the, the Romans have complete control of the Holy Land. They can do whatever they want. And she would look at her life and say, I don't see a lot of signs of God's favor. So she's confused and disturbed when the angel shows up. But he goes on and he says, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel says, Mary, you're a Jew. You know the stories of King David. You know that for a thousand years, Israel has claimed this king, David. But for the last several centuries, there has been no king. But God promised that David's throne would endure. God promised that he would send a future king, a Messiah, who would, who would uh, be the champion, be the king over the nation of Israel. And Gabriel says, and guess what? Not only is it about to happen, but it's your child. It's your child who will take the throne of his ancestor David. And, you know, we don't, we don't know yet. We're going to see in a couple of verses that Mary's kind of a theologian herself. But right here, she doesn't talk about the theology of David and thrones and messiahs. What she says is, you know, you're not from around here. And I don't know if you know how all this stuff works, but you do know where babies come from. I am a virgin. And Gabriel says, God's got that covered. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth, he says, he says the baby's going to be the Son of God. And I understand that's something that's outside of your um, experience. In fact, it's never happened before. It'll never happen again. 
but it's happening this time. So I can understand why you might be a little surprised by that scenario, but I'll tell you something that will at least give you some confidence. He says, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. So Gabriel says, you're about to be a part of something tremendous. The thing that your people have waited for, the thing that individuals in your society have waited for for centuries is about to happen, and you, Mary, have a role in it because it will be your son who is this king. And Mary says, okay. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary says, I will claim my role in this future hope. And that's what I would define a purpose as. Mary says, I will claim the role in the thing that I am hoping for. I have some connection to that hope. We talked last week about how the hope is that is that thing, and it's it's great when your hope is great. But that doesn't connect it to you. It's just, I hope great things. I hope for world peace. But do you claim a role in attaining world peace? And when you do, you have a purpose. Mary claims a role. She says, okay, let it be to me as you have said. So she claims her role. And having a purpose is a good thing. There was a psychologist named um, Viktor Frankl. He died in 1997. He was um, uh, an Austrian and a psychologist. And when World War II came, he and his family were deported to concentration camps, first in what used to be Czechoslovakia and then later on in Poland. And most of his family died in the camps. But he survived. And after he got out, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he reflected on something that he had observed in the camps. He had observed that people, you never knew when somebody would kill you. It was a, it was a place of unspeakable br- br- brutality. You just didn't know what would happen. People, you know, endured things we cannot imagine. But all else being equal, he said you could tell who was going to survive because they had a purpose. He said you would talk to somebody and you'd find out they were desperate to find out what happened to their children. And you'd say, those people are going to live. And you'd see somebody else who had no purpose, and you'd say, they're going to give up and die. And so his own purpose was to write this book that he had been um, he had in manuscript form at the beginning of the war, and he thought that he had to get through this experience and write this psychology book. And so he did. But it's man's search for meaning that he is best remembered for because of this observation he made that purpose helps us to live better and longer lives. Now, in the 70 years since then, people have actually uh, um, discovered how true this is. I'm going to read you some more research. I know I did this last week, but I'll do it some more, because this is something that science is catching up to what people of faith have known for a long time. This is something that... um, uh, this is one of the, the studies. Researchers studying longevity say that those who feel a sense of purpose and direction in life may live longer no matter what their age. They studied a population of 6,000 people over 14 years. And they found that those who died 
were in the group that had previously said that they had less purpose than others. So they had asked people, given them a survey of all kinds of questions, the ones who had said they had little purpose in their life, they were just kind of getting through the days, they were the ones who were more likely to be in that group that had died 14 years later. Greater purpose in life consistently predicted a lower risk of dying, and this cut across all age groups, young, middle-aged, and elderly. What they found is that the sooner you acquire a purpose in your life, the better, because then its effects last your whole life. But there's no deadline. You can be 80 years old and still acquire purpose and live longer because of it. So it cuts across all age groups. The sooner you discover it, the better, but there's no limit to how late you can start. In 2009, a different study looked at a group of people and found that people who derive meaning were half as likely to have died after a five-year follow-up period as participants who lacked purpose. Another study looked at 1,500 seniors, and they found that a sense of purpose helps to protect the brain against the effects of the plaque that build up in the brain and cause Alzheimer's. So they autopsied them after their death. They had volunteered for this. And they found that of those who had died, um, who had plaque associated with Alzheimer's in their brains, those who had a purpose did not exhibit Alzheimer's symptoms the way that those who did not. Not only that, your life is actually better. You're happier. You're less vulnerable to psychological discord, uh, which is this uh, uh, mental state which manifests as boredom, anxiety, and depression. And it's also related to a mental state called flow. If you think of that, that those moments when you felt like you were really in the zone, psychologists call that flow. And it's a state of intense absorption when you kind of forget yourself, you forget your surroundings, and you're focused on what it is you're doing. That mental state, flow, is something that people who have purpose are more likely and more free, more likely to in, um, experience it more frequently. So, so psychologists tell us that Viktor Frankl was right. People who have purpose live longer, and they actually live better lives given the same circumstances as other people. That there's no deadline for when you have to start, but the sooner you start, the better. So purpose is a good thing. And if you're not a Christ follower, if you're not a church person, that's your message. That's that's just, you know, it's something you should be aware of, and you should think about your own life and say, do I have purpose? Because there's a way I can have a better life. But this is a place where Christianity really shines, because it gives us the ultimate purpose. Because Purpose is costly. Think about Mary. What did it cost her to say yes? You know, we, we, we learned that she was never uh, fully, she had not completed the process of being married by the time she gave birth. She was still engaged at the time she gave birth. And if that causes any stigma in our society today, um, we can debate. But there's no question that in the first century it would have been a crippling stigma. Chances are that she was, um, she and Joseph both, would have been expelled from their families. They would have been disowned. They would never have had anything to do with their families of origin because of the stigma associated with obeying this call to a higher purpose. It would have cost them everything. And not only that, when you take on a purpose, you assume responsibility because you may fail. Purpose is not free. It leads to a better life. 
and a longer life. But it's not free, it's costly. And this is a place where Christianity shines because we have the highest possible purpose. God enlists ordinary people, people like Mary, people like you and me, into the salvation of the world. God calls each of us to be a part of his saving work in the world. So what is your purpose? Do you have a purpose? Would you like a longer life? Would you like a happier life? Because you can have one if you have a purpose. And if you're a Christ follower, a purpose comes with the package. It's part of the deal. Jesus calls each of us to be about the work of salvation. He calls us to make disciples. He tells us, as the Father sent him into the world, so he sends us to make disciples. Do you have a purpose? What's your answer? See, God's not going to send Gabriel to you. Maybe. I don't think God's going to send Gabriel to you. But he sends the Holy Spirit to every believer. And he incorporates all of us into the body of Christ. What's your purpose? If you want a better, happier, longer life, get a purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for purposefulness. Um, we, we know, we know we are happier people. We know that we are not as bored and not as depressed when we have a purpose. But Lord, our minds boggle that you would enlist us in your purpose, that you would incorporate us in this great thing that you are doing. Lord, we know that it is, it is costly. We know that it will come with, with risks and responsibilities. And so, Lord, we pray you would guide us as we seek to carry out the work you've called us to. Help us, Lord, in our own way to respond with faith as Mary did, to take on our roles in the thing we hope for. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.